0: Good morning again, and thank you for worshiping with us. We continue to meet virtually at this time, and I hope that you're finding ways to connect with one another, but more importantly, with the Lord. It is so critical for us to maintain our walk with Him and to be close with Him. Uh, It's how we can be stable in an unstable time. We're continuing our Dying Declaration series today. We're talking about the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. Today we're going to be talking about the time that Jesus cried out in thirst. Uh, but before we dive in, I want to just kind of give you some highlights. Today is Palm Sunday. So uh, while we're talking about when Jesus uh, cried out in thirst from the cross in, in this time, I want you to pay attention to our Facebook page, to our website, to YouTube. Uh, we'll be posting a video later about some, some important things about Palm Sunday that we can't overlook. Also, Friday is Good Friday. We're going to be having uh, a special Good Friday service. We're going to be kicking that off at 7 p.m., uh, and you'll be able to watch that again on all of the virtual uh, streaming services that we offer also, next Sunday is Easter, and while we can't uh, meet together physically, Easter is not canceled. Listen, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He rose again, and we're going to celebrate His resurrection. We're going to celebrate the life that we have in Him together uh, right here, You know, uh, celebrating virtually with you next week as well. So be sure to look out for that. Before we dive into today's message, I want to just recap a few things uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, We talked about how um, we were created to be united with God forever, but sin separates us from him. We talked about the imagery of the child and the bride, how God calls us his children, how we are the bride of Christ, and that gives a picture of the intimacy that we are to have with God. We talked about how Jesus bore the punishment for our sin, uh, and he bore the punishment uh, of that sin for us. It was interesting to kind of think about all of the things that Jesus experienced and how he agonized not over those physical sufferings, but over the suffering of being separated from God the Father. We also talked about the fact that God will never leave us or forsake us. That is the punishment that Jesus bore on our behalf. He bore that punishment of being rejected and separate from God. And we remember that in the garden after they sinned, Adam and Eve, uh, God didn't reject them or, or forsake them. Rather, he went after them and he did the same for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The next thing that we talked about was that Jesus took our sin along with with its punishment and then in turn he traded uh, his righteousness and all of its rewards to us. It's the greatest trade in all of eternity. And today we're picking up the series of dying declarations. We're talking again about that time that Jesus cried out in thirst. And there are a few different interpretations of this passage. And while it's kind of simple in nature, uh, the passage we're going to read here in a moment, I think it's very important for us to understand what it means. So we're going to start our service off by praying. That God would open our hearts and our spirits um, and our our minds to really hear his word and be challenged by it. You know, I, I really believe it's important for us to be open to being challenged by the word of God so that change can happen, that we can be transformed by his love. So let's pray. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. God, I thank you that he was on the cross and that he bore the punishment for our sin, Lord. And I thank you that he rose again. Lord, as we study this time where he cried out in thirst, help us to understand uh, the implications of what that was. Help us to understand your word and all the things that it teaches us about Jesus and the things that we need to to really uh, take hold of and grasp and receive under ourselves, Lord, so that you can transform us by your power, by your spirit, and your love. I thank you for everyone that is watching. Lord, I pray for their peace. I pray for their health. God, and I pray that you would change their life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today's dying declaration comes from John 19 verse 28, and it says this: After this, Jesus, knowing all now was finished, he said, "To fulfill Scripture, I thirst." A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put on a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth, to his mouth. Now this is moments before Jesus' death, and he understands that his time has come. But notice he doesn't understand because of the physical suffering that he has been experiencing. He has been on the cross for more than six hours at this point. He knows the hour is approaching, but not because of the suffering, rather because he knows that Scripture has been fulfilled. And John even highlights that. He highlights that this is a specific Scripture that has been fulfilled in Jesus in this moment. And that particular passage is found in Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, it says, They give me poison for food, and for my thirst they give me sour wine to drink. You know, this is one prophecy. Out of all of the uh, Old Testament, there are about 350 different prophecies about Jesus. And the fact that he fulfills this one, and, and actually not only does he fulfill it, it says that he knows that his hour has come and so he says this in order to fulfill Scripture. Jesus takes the time in the middle of his suffering to fulfill what was said about him in the Old Testament. And now, of those all 350 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Now, I've told you before that I'm a nerd, and I like to talk about math. Well, let me just give you some math about the odds of one person fulfilling all of these prophecies. Just for one person to fulfill 10 of the prophecies would be one in 100 quadrillion. That is a one with 17 zeros behind it. Those are the odds of just one, pr- one person filling 10 of the. Pro- 10 of the prophecies. One person filling 50 of the prophecies, that's one with 158 zeros behind it. Now, for him to fulfill all 350, that number, it's incalculable. Only Jesus could have fulfilled and only Jesus did fulfill every prophecy that was ever made about him. So when we think about this, let, let's talk and understand what some of these prophecies are. You know, I think it's so beautiful to, th- to to know that in our faith that God exists outside of time, and in that he inspired the writers of the Old Testament, he inspired the writers of the Bible to talk about his son, something that would be coming years later. You know, all of these prophecies written, you know, thousands of years at times before Jesus was born, and the last one was written 450 years before He was born. And because Jesus specifically took the time to fulfill this one prophecy, we can be sure that all of the other prophecies were fulfilled as well. I want to just I want to just take some time and and talk about some of the types of prophecies that were about Jesus. Now there were prophecies about the location and manner of his birth. There were prophecies about the fact that He would come from the tribe of Judah. There were prophecies that He would spend time in Egypt. There were prophecies that He was the heir to David's throne. There were prophecies that He would speak in parables. There were prophecies that He would be the Messiah, that He was the Savior, that He would be Emmanuel, God with us. There were prophecies that He would heal the brokenhearted. There were prophecies that He would be betrayed. There were prophecies that He would be whipped, and beaten, and mocked, and abused, There were prophecies that he would be crucified. There were prophecies that he would pray for his enemies. There were prophecies that he would bear our punishment and be a sacrifice for sin. There were prophecies that he would triumph over evil. There were prophecies that he would die, but he would also be resurrected. There were prophecies that he he would sit at God's right hand and one day come back and bring all of us into eternity with him. So we know that because Jesus fulfilled these prophecies, prophecies that he is who he says he is. It allows us to boldly acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord, that we have confidence in knowing that he is the Son of God, that he fulfilled everything that was said about him, and we have the confidence in, in putting our hope and, and our faith in him. Another inter- important interpretation of this expression of thirst is that it is an acknowledgement of Jesus' humanity, of his human nature. Jesus calling out for something to drink shows us, you know, especially in this moment right before death, that he was indeed human. Now, this is important for a couple reasons. The early church, especially, they had to deal with some heresies. Now, if you think about it, you know, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they witnessed Jesus uh, in his life. They witnessed him as a human, and then in, the, in his death and resurrection, they, they see him as God. Now, the early church, they are coming after the resurrection and and even in his uh, ascension into heaven. And so they're thinking about him more 100% God, and they have to grasp now that he was 100% man. And so in the early church, there were some heresies saying that Jesus was not man. In fact, that he didn't die on the cross, that he only swooned. And so if you read especially the the books of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, a lot of that was really combating this heresy that Jesus uh, was not man. But he actually was. He was 100% God and 100% man. And it's really important for us to understand that. And we see throughout Scripture the elements of Jesus' humanity. We see first that he had a human body. In John 1, it says that the Word became flesh. In Luke chapter 2, uh, in the first part, we see that Mary gave birth to him, and she lay him in a manger. Later, in Luke chapter 2, we see that he grew in wisdom and in stature. You know, when he was 12 years old, uh, you know, and they, they lost him for a couple of days, if you could imagine. Uh, so we see him growing up. He had stepped out of eternity And into time, he actually began to age. Uh, In John chapter 4, it says that he grew weary as he traveled from Judea to Galilee. And he had to stop in Samaria to meet that woman at the well. In John chapter 19, the passage we're reading today, he grew thirsty. In Matthew chapter 4, he grew hungry. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days without eating. And of course, during this time of fasting, he grows hungry, but also weak. Uh, We see also in Matthew chapter 4. In Luke chapter 23, he died on the cross. He died a physical death. But in then Luke 24, after he resurrected, he resurrected into a physical body. Because, and we know this because when he went to his disciples, they were able to touch him. Not only touch his body, but touch his wounds. And then he said to them, I'm hungry. Let's have some, let's have some fish. And so they ate together. So we know that he uh, had a physical body before his death and then also after his resurrection. But not only did he have a physical body, a human body, he had human emotions. He had a human heart that expressed those emotions. In Matthew chapter 8, when that centurion went to Jesus and, and really said, you don't even have to come to my house. You can say the word and my servant would be healed. Jesus, Jesus marveled at that centurion's faith. In Matthew 26, his soul was sorrowful. he was so sorrowful. He was just overcome with grief as he was looking ahead to what was ahead of him. In John chapter 11, uh, when Lazarus, one of his good friends, had died, and he saw the pain that his friends were experiencing, he wept in John 11:35. Hebrews chapter five tells us that Jesus often prayed and offered loud cries of supplications. One famous theologian put it this way: "Christ has put on our feelings along." with our flesh. So we know that Jesus had a human body. We know that he had a human heart, but scripture also tells us that Jesus had a human mind. In Luke chapter 2, it says that he grew in not only in stature, but in wisdom. In Mark chapter 13, it says that he does not know the day or the hour of his return to rapture the church. Now this is an interesting one, because how can he be God, who is omniscient, but also be man with finite knowledge and understanding? Listen, This is part of the mystery of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us that we have to steward the mystery of the gospel. And this is one of those items. Jesus was 100% God, and in that divinity, he was omniscient, but he was 100% man. And in that humanity, his, his mind or his knowledge was finite. And we have to allow God to bring us to a place where we can balance that. In addition to that conflict between his divinity and his human nature and his mind, we also see that in his will. In Matthew 26, he says, Not my will, but yours be done, talking to the Father about his upcoming crucifixion. In John chapter 6, Jesus said that he did not come to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. This is also very important for us to understand, that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. Paul drove the importance of this home in his second letter to Timothy. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I think it's really important for us to notice what Paul says, that there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to be a man. He had to have a body like ours, he had to have a mind like ours, he had to have a heart like ours, he had to have a will like ours. He had to have all of those things, he had to become, or he had to overcome those things. He had to be tempted in every way like we are, and yet, as it says in Hebrews, he did not sin. He had to take on flesh in order to overcome the power of the flesh by the Spirit that God had given him. He had to overcome what he became so that we might overcome what sin has made us, and be remade in his image. You see, thirst, when he cries out with this expression of thirst, it's an expression of humanity, but it encapsulates the promise of salvation. So next, I want to share kind of a new interpretation, something that, you know, as I was researching this and studying this passage, uh, a new truth that I would say was revealed to me. And I love it when God does that. I love it when I'm studying and God just shows something to me. And I've told you before about the pastor that I had, growing up and how he would always say that the way that we find scripture or the way that we find truth is we take scripture against scripture. We bang them together until the truth falls out. And it's such an important truth that we find that, uh, we, we find truth when we assess scripture across the full context of the Bible to understand its meaning. Now the passages that I want to highlight for you that help kind of bring this new understanding uh, are, are these. In John uh, 19, obviously, the one that we're talking about where Jesus says that he was thirsty but in John chapter 18, it says, So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its, his, its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is when uh, he was being arrested. And Peter, you know, he draws his sword and he cuts that man's ear off. And Jesus says, hey, I'm prepared to drink the cup of suffering that's ahead of me. Matthew chapter 20, uh, James and John, they go to Jesus and they ask if they can sit at his right hand and his left hand when he is, you know, ascended back into the kingdom. And Jesus says this, he says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? So what we see is Jesus understands that ahead of him is this, as a cup of suffering. And so when he cries out saying that he is thirsty, perhaps what he's saying is he is showing that he is not only prepared to drink the cup of suffering before him, but that he was eager to do so. One uh, writer put it this way. He says that when Jesus says, I thirst, it may have pointed not only to his willingness to drink the cup of suffering and sin and hate, but to drink it down to the dregs. This, to me, speaks of his great love for us and that he was willing to suffer for us in the way that he did. And he would do it all again. The question that we have to answer is the same question that he asked James and John. Are we willing to experience that suffering? Are we willing to drink the cup that he has drank? And he looks to us waiting for our answer. Now, what we need to understand is we aren't suffering for our sins. Jesus has borne the punishment. For that Now, if we don't receive him as Savior, listen, we will suffer. You will suffer for your sins if you don't receive him as Savior. But if you have received him as your Savior, you can rest just sure today. You can rest in peace today, knowing that he has already borne that suffering. He has borne that punishment. But often in Scripture it talks about the suffering that we will experience because we identify ourselves as one of His children. We understand that you know the, these passages they reveal the purpose of our suffering and the everlasting hope that we have in the midst of suffering because we identify as a Christian. And First Peter chapter four, uh, beginning in verse twelve. Uh, we kind of see this this um, picture of what that suffering is all about, and we're gonna. I want to read it uh, with you. It says, "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering is that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." What we see in this these first two verses is that tells us that we can rejoice in our suffering. As, as odd as that might sound, we can rejoice when we are going through difficulty. We can rejoice when we are going through hard times and trials and tribulations. And we do that so that when at the end of that suffering, his glory can be revealed. But I think it's important. We need to understand the dependency that is highlighted here. In order, it says that we rejoice in so far as we share in his sufferings, that we may also rejoice in being glad when his glory is revealed. It kind of gives this implication that if we aren't rejoicing in our sufferings, if we aren't praising him, if we aren't lifting him up in his glory, then we may not be able to experience the true glory when he returns. We may not be able to rejoice in that, uh, that future, the eternity that comes along with that. The passage goes on and it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So very plainly, what, what Peter is saying, he says, we are blessed when we suffer for Jesus. But don't let yourself be caught suffering for a sin. Don't let yourself be uh, you know, caught suffering for the things uh, that unbelievers suffer for. Rather, it, it, he's telling us that we suffer because of being identified as God's child. And we, we can understand that that is something that we would suffer for. It continues on, it says, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This tells us that the time of suffering has come, and in our suffering we cannot hold back. In the midst of everything that's going on in the world, even today, we cannot hold back in, in sharing the truth, and sharing gospel, in, in, in sharing the opportunity to help one another. Uh, you may have seen this meme online, Martin Luther, he, uh, he, he said something during the bubonic plague, and he talked about how um, you know, he would fumigate, he would withdraw himself from you know, the, the surroundings of great gatherings of people in order to prevent the spread of the plague. But at the end of that quote, what he says is, I will go when my friend or my neighbor calls and they are in need. You know, we cannot hold back in the midst of our difficulty. We cannot hold back from sharing the truth of the hope that we have in Christ in the midst of this suffering. Rather, we have to continue forward. We have to recognize that in that time, we must entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Because if we do hold back, what would happen to those who don't believe? What would happen to the ones that who, do, who do not know Jesus, who don't have hope in him? We cannot hold back in our suffering. Peter goes on in the next chapter to share a promise of the hope that we have in the midst of suffering. So in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, uh, we kind of see this promise of a restoration after the suffering. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Notice that I think it's important that in the midst of our suffering, we are humble. And that humility is what enables us to endure. So think about it this way. If we are proud, if we have pride, if we are haughty, if we are you know, thinking that we are strong enough, then we are not going to be able to endure. Rather, if we are humble and meek, if we put our hope in the Lord and we are recognizing that we are dependent on Him, then we can have hope and we can endure the suffering that's ahead of us. It's an interesting formula that suffering produces humility, and humility is therefore necessary to endure the suffering that we experience. But the end result of that humility, the end result of our suffering, is that God will, at the proper time, exalt us. So the promise then, or the the result, the, the conclusion that we all must come to, is we must cast our cares on God. Why? Because he cares for us. Let us cast our stress, let us cast our frustration, our anxiety on him, Because he knows where we are. Remember, we talked about this uh, passage uh, in uh, a few months ago. Where when we cast it, it's not like we're casting a fishing lure that we're going to reel back and you know cast again and reel back. Rather, we cast it away. We get rid of it. We we throw it away. We give it to God because He cares for us. So if you're in a moment of stress and frustration, if you're overcome with burden, know that God cares for you and He's ready to receive your burdens unto Himself so that He can give you peace in the midst of this suffering. The passage goes on and says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What an encouraging statement. You know, you might say, well, how is it encouraging to know that everyone is suffering? Well, for one, we're not alone. We're not alone in the midst of our suffering. We know that we have to be sober-minded in this time. We have to be self-controlled. We have to be watchful for the devil, the traps that the devil has set for us. He is our enemy. I mean, period. There is no other way around it. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. The devil is out to get us. It says that he's a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. But Jesus is the one. In, in John, Jesus says that he is the great shepherd and that he is the one that brings life, and so we can trust him. The simple guidance is to resist the devil, be firm in our faith, and put our hope in God. And we know that we can do that because we're not alone in that fight. We know that other believers are, are there. They're suffering with us. And to me, that's so timely and appropriate. We're on, we are in unprecedented times, but we are not alone. We can hold firm. We can be encouraged. We can resist the devil. We can stand firm in our faith, but we must be alert, and we must be humble, and we must cast our cares on God. This is, this is the way that we can endure these times and know that there's a promise ahead of us. And we see this as the passage continues. It says, And after you, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, what is he going to do? He's going to restore, he's going to confirm, he's going to strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful promise. What an amazing thing to know that the hope of our suffering, the hope is that our suffering is not permanent. That the situation that we find ourselves is not eternal, but the glory that waits ahead of us is eternal. That our glory in Christ will be. I think it's important to acknowledge that the promise um, that is even before we are physically with him, God, well, what is he going to do? He's going to confirm. He's going to restore. He's going to strengthen. He's going to establish us. So that even in the midst of our suffering, we have the hope that he is next to us, that he sees us where we are, and he will reconcile us to himself, and he will be there with us, and we can have peace. And the result of that, at the very end, what does it say? It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. That is a declaration of praise. That is a, a call to arms, if you will, an arms of worship, that we worship God, recognizing his power and sovereignty and the role that he has in our life. We see another picture of this promise, or the comparison rather, between um, our current suffering and the eternal glory that is ahead of us in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says this So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We read this and we see the command not to lose heart. I encourage you this morning. Have you lost heart? Are, have, are you looking at your circumstance? Are you looking at the things that surround you and all the burdens and demands that are on you right now? Are you wasting away on the outside? Well, if so, listen to the hope that Paul tells us, he says, we might be wasting away on the outside, but we are renewed on the inside day by day. How do we experience that renewal? That renewal comes from the hope that what we are going through right now is temporary. And believe it or not, it's described as light. I love this contrast. I love what it says that our current suffering is light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that God has waiting for us. I want you just to take a moment and think about these two phrases. I want you to think about, okay, our suffering is light and momentary, but the glory that God has for me, I want you just to to think about this moment, maybe even close your eyes and say, my suffering in this moment is light and momentary, but the glory that God has for me, it is eternal, it is weighty, it is significant, it is important. When we think about that weight, it is not meant to imply a burden, But it is to imply significance. It is to imply importance. It is something for us to focus on and ground ourselves to. It's a place to lay the foundation of our faith and knowing that that is Christ. He is our rock. The question that you might be asking, though, is this. How can I be renewed day by day in this way? Maybe you're so overwhelmed with everything on the outside. You you feel and, and you identify with that phrase that you're wasting away. And maybe you you feel like it's preventing you from experiencing that inner renewal on a daily basis. Well, Paul helps us to understand why we might find ourselves in that place earlier in the chapter. Starting in verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we, who are, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. In verses 7 through 9, Paul highlights the universal suffering that Peter alludes to. He says, we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we're struck down. But that's not all that he says. He says, we are afflicted, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So how can this be? How can we live in that state, knowing that we're experiencing all of those difficulties, all of those challenges, but it's not overwhelming? It's not over, overtaking us? Well, the answer is this. He says that we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that in our bodies we can also carry the life of of jesus you see it's in in that crucifixion that jesus experienced when we take that that sacrifice that he made into us we receive the gift of salvation and we recognize his death then we can also walk in the life that comes from his resurrection the simple and honestly eternally frightening truth is this if you have not received his death if you haven't received the gift of salvation that comes from the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins, you will never be able to walk in the life that comes from his resurrection. And that is something that we all need to understand. We need to carry around his death in us so that we can also walk in the life that his resurrection brings. If we do this, we will experience that inner renewal throughout every single day, every day, despite what's happening on the outside, we will be renewed in our spirits day by day by day. We will recognize and acknowledge that even the things that we are experiencing today, they are light and momentary. But ahead of us is an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So I invite you with me just to take a few moments and reflect. If you have never received that gift of salvation, if you have never internalized or received the gift of the sacrifice that Jesus has, if you aren't carrying around his death with you, Take the moment now with me to pray and ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Acknowledge what Jesus did for you on the cross so that you can walk in his life. For those of you that maybe have received that gift of salvation, listen, I want you to know that you may, if you're struggling to experience that renewal, maybe it's because you're not reflecting on the death that Jesus has done for you. Maybe you're not reflecting on the sacrifice that he made for you. In, in Romans, Paul tells us that in view of God's mercy, we have to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. So in, in your walk, I challenge you as well to make sure that you're reflecting on what he has done in view of his grace so that you give yourself completely and wholly over to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your sacrifice. In this moment, as we uh, just reflect and we take a moment to, to consider, God, what you want to do in our life, God, make it so plain and so clear to us that we take that action right now. God, for those that um, want to receive the gift of salvation, Father, I, I ask that uh, you just give them the boldness to pray with me now. Dear God, I am struggling with so many burdens. I'm struggling and I feel like I'm wasting away on the outside. You promise to renew me on the inside every day so that I can recognize that suffering as light and momentary, but know that I have an eternal weight of glory that waits for me. Father, I know that my sin has created a separation between us. I know that my sin prevents me from walking in that glory, in that renewal. But Jesus bore the punishment for my sin. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Apply the shed blood of Jesus to my heart, to my life. Wash my sins away. God, come into my life as my Savior. I, I, I internalize, I receive the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection so that I can carry his death and his life in me. God, make me alive in you. Help me to die to my sin. You have overcome. Lord, help me to walk in the victory that you have. Help me to be your child. Help me to walk every single day renewed by your hope, your spirit, and your love. In Jesus' name. For those that need to pray and just ask God to help them to walk in that life daily, to reflect on his grace always. You've received the gift of salvation, but you need to pray and ask God to just change your life and help you focus on him so that you can experience renewal. Pray with me now. God, I thank you that Jesus came to this earth. I thank you that he died on the cross, and I thank you that he has saved me from my sin. I thank you that he bore the punishment for me on the cross. Father, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for not pursuing you every day. Forgive me for not reflecting on your grace and the transformation that you bring. Lord, from this moment on, help me to renew myself in you, to find my renewal in your spirit every day, to pursue you with everything that I am. Help me, God, to be your child. Help me to know what it means to follow after you and to pursue you with everything that I am. Lord, I know that my, my own burdens, they seem heavy, God, but they are light in comparison to what you have ahead of me. Help me to walk in the peace of that knowledge, knowing that you are with me and I am not alone. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son, and I thank you for the work that you're doing in me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I celebrate with you in the decisions that you have made today, I invite you to just share on uh, either on the Facebook page or you can email our church office uh, from the website. You can message us directly through Facebook. Let us know what God is doing in your life. Let us know the decisions that you are making so that we can come alongside you and pray with you and celebrate with you. I pray that God continues to bless you, that he continues to draw himself to you and that your life is forever changed by the sacrifice of Jesus, that you are renewed in him every day and that you are blessed by his spirit. God bless.